Ante Up is your poker magazine dedicated to the everyday player and their poker rooms. Pick up a free copy at your favorite poker room nationwide each month. But Ante Up is much more than a magazine. Visit AnteUpMagazine.com daily for breaking news and each week download our award-winning poker cast. Join us on our action-packed poker cruises to exotic destinations. Ante Up, it's your poker magazine. From the Anti-Up headquarters in Tampa Bay, Florida, it's the Anti-Up PokerCast. And now, here are two guys who think they know how to play poker, Chris Casenza and Scott Long. It's October 19, 2018. You're listening to the best PokerCast on the planet. I'm Chris Casenza. And I'm Scott Long. I'm still sick. For those of you wondering, six weeks. Big big shocker there. Six Uh, weeks. Yeah. Uh, well, I had 12 weeks in the office pool, so keep going, buddy. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to hang on to it as long as I can. <laughs> keep milking the sympathy. Well, I'm excited this week, uh, not because you're sick, but uh, we actually have stuff to talk about. Finally. I know, what the hell. Although, little... I know that actually turned out to be a pretty good show when we didn't have something to talk about. So That's true, too, that's true. But it, it's nice to see that there's actually stuff happening in the gambling world again. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, so Poker Go, the, um, the, the, the big... Poker Network that does all the original programming now uh, has launched a show called Beyond the Rail, which is a seven-episode series that follows those involved in producing, broadcasting, and participating in the 28, uh, 2018 World Series of Poker. And uh, here are the seven people that will be featured on it. Maury Escandani, uh, who, of course, uh, was inducted in the Hall of Fame this year, but has been a executive producer um, for the television broadcast there. Uh, Don Gaddy, who is a co-executive producer, Antonio Esfandiari, uh, obviously everybody knows him, but uh, has been a commentator as well, too, which he actually is really good at He's that, too. He's really good at that, yeah. Uh, Chris Mormon, um, uh, who's obviously a great pro player. Uh, Dre Rene is a Poker Central host uh, and also a massage therapist. <laughs> and All-American Dave, a food truck operator and fitness trainer. Uh, that would have been interesting to see how they tie that into there. And then uh, finally, Drew Amato, who is a lead photographer out there as well, too. So I kind of like this because uh, it's like the people behind the people, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, we always had. There's enough uh, programming out there about the Phil Helms of the world. Um, it's nice to see um, some focus on people that don't get the focus that much. Yeah, it sounds like it's going to be like seven, like seven documentaries. You know, what I mean, it's yeah. it's kind of cool and. It's funny, my whole poker career, I've always laughed at the fact that Escandani and Esfandiari's names are so similar, <laughs> they are. Yet, they, yet they don't really sound the same. They both start with an E-S, they both have an and, and they both end in an I with an A in there, and they're almost spelled identically, but they don't sound the same at all. It's Escandani and Esfandiari. Yeah, you're going to flip that coin and Hangman if one of the names. <laughs> exactly. You're going to be like, i got to go with the F or the D, which is it going to be? <laughs> Or Wheel of Fortune, I'm like, you're not going to be buying any vowels because they're all the same vowels. Oh, man. Um, but, yeah, this is cool. Um, and they've pretty much covered every angle. I, I was trying to think of maybe a dealer would be one other person that might be it. But then that'd be, I don't know, that might be kind of cool to watch the dealer go into the break room and see what the dealers talk about and stuff like that. But other than that, I, I think they've pretty much got it all covered. Uh, no, that's an excellent point because uh, one time when I was at the World Series, I actually got into the employee cafeteria um, 
And <laughs> it was really interesting because, one, you've got like literally 100 people all wearing their own WSOP dealer uniforms. Yeah, the vests and everything. So oh, visually, yeah. it's very interesting. Um, but then uh, just the conversations that were going on were, were really interesting as well, too. So I think that's a good little um, behind the scenes. But, you know, I'm a big fan of behind the scenes stuff in general. In fact, actually, I was telling some friends last night at dinner. Uh, National Geographic just uh, broadcast a special on Air Force One. And, of course, I'm a big presidential geek, right? So, yeah, yeah. And it was really well done. Um, and the very last scene was Obama getting on Air Force One for the very first time when they flew to Illinois to pick him up before oh, he's yeah, yeah. And he he walks on and greets the pilot and has some small talk with him and then meets the uh, the head steward who gives him a menu and asks him what he wants to make and he he makes an order and he's like, hey, can you can you make it well done? Can you? It was just a really cool scene that I've never seen before that you would never think. So, um. If there are scenes like that on um, on the series, I think it's going to be really cool. That's pretty cool. So um, people talk about the behind the scenes of making the anti poker cast, but I probably <laughs> that's not visually appealing. I can't tell you how many times I've had people. Well, I, I you know uh, quite a few people that we're friends with or family members, things like that. They're like, you guys should do a reality show. And I'm like, you don't want to see that reality show. <laughs> and they're like, no, really, you should do at least do a video podcast, do a vodcast or whatever they call it. And I'm like, you really don't want to see me and Scott our ugly faces on 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 the big screen. Let me tell you, we have voices for podcasts, our faces for podcasts. <laughs> That's right, we absolutely do. But I'm I'm looking forward to it. I love that they're doing this. That these guys are, you know, because you don't. I mean, I guess you kind of see stuff like this in other sports or other hobbies or games. I mean, you know, you know, when you put on ESPN or something, I mean, I guess you'd see, like, there are, like, the 30 for 30 series, and it gives you... But those are pretty major moments in sports. You don't see very many documentaries that are, you know, basically centered around the people behind the people, you know. Right. So this is, this is pretty interesting. It's some good programming. I think they're, they got the right idea. Uh, we'll just see if people are interested enough in it. Absolutely. All right, well, Election Day is November 6th, uh, so now it's time to make sure you fully understand any ballot issues in your state that might have any effect on poker, as well as candidates' positions on gambling matters. And um, I did a look around, a, a very superficial look, I would admit, but I did not see any statewide ballot issues about gambling in any state other than ours, Chris. Really? Uh, but I could be wrong. Um, but I'm sure there are some local options, things out there as well, too. So I found that a little interesting because um, we have two big ones on the ballot here. Um, so we're going to talk a little bit about that. Obviously, we started here in Florida. We have a lot of um, uh, Florida uh, listeners. Um, but even if you're not in Florida, I think discussing these things are of importance to you because these things could end up on your ballot in the future and understanding them a little bit might help. And then clearly you have to check how your candidates are, are thinking about gambling. They, it, you know, gambling issues never really pop up in campaigns very often, I don't think. Mm-hmm. Um, but this year, uh, one of the um, gubernatorial candidates in Nevada is uh, staunchly anti-online poker. And, um, you know, I don't know if he wins, how aggressive uh, Lee he'll go to get it overturned there or how successful he'll be like that. But obviously if he loses, he will not be successful at all in that. So <laughs> um, not suggesting he'd be a one issue voter, but uh, just be sure if, if voters do, uh, candidates do have stances uh, on it that you know what you're talking about. But, yeah. Or it could be, if you're on the fence, that could be the one thing that pushes you to the other side, true. you know? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so anyhow, in Florida here, we got 
statewide amendments coming up. Amendment three, uh, which would put all future gambling decisions in the hands of voters instead of the legislature. And Amendment 13, which would ban greyhound racing. Um, very strong opinions for me on the first one. The second one, not so much. But um, So I'll start with Amendment 3. Um, so as I mentioned, it's purported to be putting gambling decisions in the hands of voters instead of the legislature. Um, in my opinion, that's a little bit of a trick. But essentially what it would do is if it passes, um, it would mean that the only way any changes in gambling would happen in Florida would be if the uh, voters vote for it. Um, but here's the thing, to get it on the ballot, it took this year 766,000 signatures to get a item on the ballot. <laughs> oh. So think about how difficult that is. And uh, that's uh, verified signatures, by the way. Trust me, as a former candidate, uh, there's a difference between signatures and verified signatures. Yeah. Um, uh, and they have to come from uh, 14 of the 27 congressional districts in the state. Um, so it's very difficult to get an item on the ballot uh, as citizens. Um, if you do succeed in getting all those signatures, uh, you almost assuredly will face some kind of legal fight over the ballot language. Um, we had one of our amendments this year that was stripped off the ballot because of that. Yeah. Three or four other ones that, that temporarily were and then got put back on. And then if you get through all that, I can guarantee you there are special interest dollars out there ready to squash whatever your idea is. So um, the, 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 the people pushing this amendment are making it sound like this is a great thing. Voters get to control it rather than those evil politicians in Tallahassee. Um, the, re, the reality is almost completely opposite of that. So uh, I'm a firm no on this, and I encourage other people to be a, a firm no on it as well. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I've... You and I have talked about it a handful of times already, um, and I'm, I'm a firm no on it too, and for other reasons too. You know, when you think about, you know, when you think about a bill or something that's going to uh, be passed or you want to be passed, you always think about the ramifications of the actual bill itself. But there's also fringe ramifications that can happen from things like this too. I think I was on Facebook on Derby Lane's post because they were against it as well, obviously, um, and I brought up the ideas that you know money's a lot of the money, the tax money that comes from casinos goes to schools and, and the children's uh, programs and things like that. And if you not only stop future progress, you stop future money, and that money's going to have to come from somewhere then. And then if you if you don't, if you if you do this, I heard the, I, the way I read it too, that there, there could be ramifications for casinos that already exist and they can't compete or something will happen to them as well, which could also hurt their profits, which would also hurt the money going to schools and stuff. Is that true? Well, yeah, so here's the interesting thing is any expansion of gambling would have to be done by the voters, but the legislature could still constrict gambling. There's nothing in the in the matter that says all all gambling decisions have to go to the voters. So, yeah. um, so you know, there are a couple things in play here. I mean, most of our paramutual poker rooms um, are running what's called designated player games. So, like three card poker things you see in a normal casino, but we can't do bank games here in Florida. So, right, right. one player or company or player representing a company that serves as the banker, so they can offer those games. <clears throat> um, those could be stripped apart. Um, obviously, the Seminoles still have their own compact with the state, as do the Mikasukis, um, and that's unaffected by this. Um, but in part of those discussions could be, um, you know. <coughs> the state more money if you restrict gambling over here or there. Right, uh, right. You know what's going to happen there. So, 
Um, it, it's a very flawed amendment for lots of reasons. Um, and one of the other things, too, um, that I haven't spent a lot of time talking to people about, but you know, this affects any expansion in gambling anywhere. So one of the things I've been talking about is, you know, hey, we've got the new sports betting now. That's you know, all states can do. That would effectively prevent that from happening here unless it went through that whole ballot process. Um, daily fantasy sports are operating kind of in a gray area right now, right? Yeah. So um, they could effectively get shut down as part of the, you know, con- uh, compact negotiations as well, too. So some of that stuff is what I've been talking about. But think about this. What if you are a city like, say, Pensacola, and you want you decide locally that you want to allow slot machines at the Pensacola Greyhound track, right? Um, that would have to go to all voters statewide, then, to decide. So now you're asking voters in Miami, which is a city farther away from Pensacola than Chicago. Yeah. You can actually believe that to decide what's going to happen in Pensacola. Um, and that's, you know, I, I don't think anybody would, with a rational thinking would agree that that's a good thing. So um, lots of unintended consequences by this. That are, yeah, are that is be- just, that part right there, when when I gave that some thought, I, that is just absolutely the most ridiculous thing. This is why politics is just horrible. And I, I, don't, I, I mean, as far as a, you know, I know you liked your little local thing, but I mean, this is this is absolutely just mind-numbingly stupid, and I just, I just, it makes me so nauseated just friggin' thinking about it. You know, I mean, really, you're gonna tell a little area of the state that they want to do something for their people, that their their constituents or whatever, and you're gonna say, okay, we're gonna leave it up to the people in Key West. Give me a break. That's ridiculous. Yep. It's absolutely yep. ridiculous. So, yeah, and Amendment 13. I know you can go either way on it, but I figure a lot of dogs are, you know, dying. Might as well. Well, yeah, here's what's the interesting thing about Amendment 13. So for our listeners that don't know, um, Amendment 13 would ban greyhound racing in the state. Um, it, it, it's obviously a dying industry every anywhere. I think it's only being like maybe four states to allow greyhound racing as it is. Um, it's generally <coughs> dying at its own death. Um, kind of like VCRs and blacksmithing, right? Yeah. So the world just moved on from it, so the market's not there anymore. So it's it's naturally constricting and and dying as it is. So this would would ban it. Um, my big concern before, and it it's not uh, the bill is clear on this. Um, would be what what would that mean to poker rooms that run greyhound racing now too? So again, if you don't live in Florida, if you uh, the only people that can operate gambling establishments in the state of Florida are Seminole, tri- I mean, Indian tribes that have a compact with the state or paramutual uh, facilities, and but they are, um, the, the ability to offer poker or in the areas where you can offer slot machines is limited, tied to the fact that you are running a certain amount of greyhound races, a certain amount of horse races, or a certain amount of uh, high-lie games a year. Right. So it's intended to force you to do business, dying business, in order to do the more lucrative business. So what's really interesting about this in a lot of ways is that most of the Greyhound tracks uh, in the state actually don't want to run dogs anymore. (laughs) They lose money on it. Um, You know, they they face, obviously, these uh, critics uh, about the race. So um, they actually don't want to, they don't want to offer it. So... Uh, the bill would actually allow them to continue to operate poker and simulcast and slots were allowed 
uh, even if this passes. So that's a good thing. Um, so there's also a philosophical thing going on in Florida where all these things are, are being – all these amendments that they pass are being put into the Florida Constitution. So if you think about the U.S. Constitution, right, it's a very small document. You've got, what, 26 amendments or so to it um, after that. Um, in Florida, we have all kinds of crazy stuff in our, our Constitution now because of this. Yeah. You know, we like pregnant pigs, things like that are in <laughs> our, our Constitution, right? So there's a philosophical argument that these kind of things, uh, regardless of what your stance is on greyhound racing, doesn't don't belong in the uh, the Florida Constitution. Um, now, what I've argued is that I'm a much more pragmatic person. So this is to use a poker analogy. This is the hand we've been dealt. So let's play it. Let's not fold it. Be uh, you know, yeah. uh, if I was philosophically opposed to pocket aces, would I <laughs> fold them all the time? Right. <laughs> so, um, so, um, but, so what's interesting about all these other amendments is they don't really have a chance of getting through our legislature. Our legis- the reason we have all these is because the legislature is not listening to people. So people have spoken and they're doing it this way. The Greyhound Raising Ban actually has been discussed at length in the legislature and could be passed there and probably will be eventually passed there. Um, if Amendment 13 fails. Or at the very least, there's a concept called decoupling, which would essentially do the same thing. Say, tell a Derby Lane, for example, that you can keep your poker room, but you no longer have to run Greyhounds if you don't want to. Um, and if that's the case, then Greyhound Racing is almost going to certainly die anyhow, because all those tracks that I told you about that don't want to run them would immediately stop, right? So right. either way is going to... Um, um, end up in the same result it's just a matter of how you do it so uh the ban would actually give uh wouldn't ban it until 2020 so there's a step down period um because there is some argument from folks that are invested in the industry that um you're taking away their livelihoods overnight so the step down would slow it down a little bit so you would essentially shop stop breeding your dogs now and start looking to get the other ones adopted so um, whereas the other way, you know, if uh, seven tracks quit Greyhound racing tomorrow, uh, things would be a little bit more different. So, um, so yeah, I, th- I think I'm leaning towards voting. Um, um, actually, I don't know what I'm leaning towards. I'll let you know later. Oh, well, I mean, just think about <laughs> how many dogs' lives you're probably saving if you if you say, yeah, let's go for it and end it. You know, these dogs, you know, a lot of them die from racing. A lot of them are mistreated. Just you know, end it. That's what I think. I mean, it's not going to hurt their business, I don't think, do you? Well, no, it's not going to hurt um, Poker Room's business at all. It's actually going to help it, um, I think. Um, but, you know, you're talking about Greyhound trainers, uh, breeders, all kinds of other folks like that. Now, again, I'm not necessarily saying you support a dying industry. Um, at some point, blacksmiths had to learn a new trade, right? right. And they, VCR repair guys had to learn a new trade, so... Um, but it is there. There is a little bit. There's a couple layers to it. Um, they're very thin layers, so that's that's why I I don't feel strongly one way or the other. But well, that was Scott getting nerdy for you, in case you. <laughs> I mean, he just couldn't let it go. He had to keep talking about how much he knew about uh, the process. It was very impressive, but I fell asleep halfway through decoupling or whatever you said. <laughs> it's like nerd fauna for politicians. But all right, so move on. 
All right, so speaking of politics, eh, uh, the rebranded and revamped Poker Alliance is using sports betting as a vehicle to advance its online poker ad- advocacy, according to an article by Jennifer Newell on LegalUSPokerSites.com. Newell interviewed new Poker Alliance president Mark Brenner about the new strategy, and in summary, he said sports betting is the hot topic at state legislatures now, so he's been working to attend hearings uh, to encourage lawmakers to also include online poker in those discussions. So... Um, obviously some questions were like, are you giving up on poker now because of this? And uh, his response is absolutely not. But, you know, you gotta, you gotta look for every, any wedge you can to get the, the message in. So the fact that sports betting is now being discussed is a, uh, an open door to also say, Hey, well, if you're going to allow that, just do everything at once. And, um, and that includes poker. So I actually think it's a pretty good strategy. I know others are critics of it, but. So we'll see what happens. Yeah, I agree. I think um, they go hand in hand. It's a, a natural segue into the, the conversation. Um, I read a lot of the statement that they released to the, I guess it was to the legislature or something, but I, I they only bit, from what the link we had on said, um, they only put bits and pieces of it up on the, on the link. So I wasn't sure if they actually addressed hey, this is a reminder of how much money you could make for your constituents, you know, but, um, it's probably in there somewhere. I just didn't see it what I read. But that's like, to me, is the natural argument. Hey, if you're going to pass this stuff, this is the same exact thing, essentially. And then the whole argument of, of how convenient it is for people who can't get to poker rooms and don't have poker rooms and should be able to enjoy this, this wonderful game. And by the way, we're going to make you billions of dollars in tax revenue. So, you know... It's it's nice to see that the it's a refreshing uh, new leadership and and things are gonna hopefully you know uh, improve from our angle you know um, I don't know what do you, do you what do you think I it's funny that we brought it up in the same episode that we're talking about this amendment yeah. and how you know sports betting will get passed but then we won't have online poker in Florida well, watch our luck right that they'll pass this stupid thing. Well, a couple of interesting things about this in general. One, the the first numbers that come out of Mississippi on sports betting, and I didn't write them down in the file, so I don't want to misquote them, but they were pretty substantial in the amount of money wagered in Mississippi on sports betting. Um, So it's obviously a product that people like, and to your point, um, if it's taxed appropriately, uh, it will do some good in your state if it's allowed, Um, and same with poker. Same time, um, the first numbers from New Jersey sports betting have come out, and they've been fantastic as well too. With poker seeing a drop off, yeah. so you could make the case, or it does seem fairly obvious that that people were taking the money that they were spending on online poker and have now transitioned it to sports betting, um, which is not what we really hoped either as poker fans, right? Right. So, uh, it is a uh, be careful what you wish for thing. So uh, it is the right strategy, I think, to, to tie them all together. Um, but it's like anything else. If you if you um, are a big fan of vanilla ice cream and then you give somebody the choice of chocolate ice cream, don't be surprised if they don't choose vanilla ice cream as much as they used to before, right? Yeah, so, yeah. Um, but, you know, again, that's all incumbent on the, the operators to to give people a reason to play online poker. Um, you know, maybe that's reduced rate. Maybe that's extra tournaments or special bonuses or whatever it is. Um, you know, it, it, it's got shades of what we're talking about with the uh, the Greyhound racing. You, you've, you've got us 
you've got to invest in your own product and make sure that uh, people are interested in it uh, when they start showing lack of interest in it. So, yeah, you know, it, that could be a good argument too that you brought up earlier about the fact that you know people are choosing sports betting now in Jersey rather than an online poker, and they can say, hey, these four states that are doing it, you know, they're doing online poker regulation, you know. They should be standing up and fighting for it too, and it's a perfect way to do it. You know, say, hey, we, we don't want our our online casino profits to to sink because you're only offering sports betting. We should give them a national sort of thing so we can get our cut of the pie of all the players that are playing on our website or whatever. And yeah, it's uh, it's so fr- you didn't think it would be. You never thought it'd be this frustrating. You know what I mean? <laughs> to to just get online poker regulated, it's ridiculous. I mean, we're ten years into this magazine, fifteen basically into the show, and we still are talking about this. It's ridiculous. Yeah. And we'll be talking about it for another five, ten, fifteen years, however long we're doing it, because it's not going to change that much. It's a very, very, very slow process. So. Unbelievable. We'll see what happens. All right, any updates to schedule and structure for the Pearl River Poker Open? Uh, an Annie Up Poker Tour series at Pearl River Resort in Choctaw, Mississippi has been released. The 11-event series, October 25th to November 4th, kicks off with a 100K guarantee multi- multi-day event, includes seniors and women's events, and ends with the $810 buy-in main event that will put the winner on the cover of Annie Up Magazine. For all details, including how you can get low-player hotel rates, Visit AnnieUpMagazine.com slash Pearl River. Our 2019 Annie Up Poker Cruise schedule includes a 16-night Panama Canal crossing, an 8-night Southern Caribbean adventure, and two shorter weekend cruises. Passengers on all sailings get a one-month membership to advanced poker training and a quick reference poker odds card from TheGamblingSchool.com. For more information, visit AnnieUpCruises.com. Find yourself in a situation at your favorite poker room or home game and you're not sure what the proper ruling should have been? Email us at podcast.annieupmagazine.com. We'll have Hollywood Casino Toledo Director of Poker, Elliot Schechter, tell you how he would have ruled. It's Austin Bluffs. He says, I was playing 1-3 in a Colorado casino and was under the gun plus one. The dealer dealt the first card to the small blind, then to the big blind, skipped the the under-the-gun player, dealt to me, and then went back to the the under-the-gun player and dealt his card. He quickly explained that that was actually his card and continued dealing as normal. Apparently, the dealer had accidentally pulled a second, my card, from dealing to the the under-the-gun player and corrected it immediately by pitching it to me and then giving the the under-the-gun player his proper card. I didn't suspect any funny business like worm catching a hanger but wondered if the deal should have continued since it was so early in the deal and because dealer mechanics are so procedural. At the very least, a new deal would have reduced any perception of impropriety or sloppiness. Is this a legitimate concern, or was the dealer correct in handling the fumbled deal? Elliot says, I have seen two cars come off the deck simultaneously, but never a card that wasn't the top of the stub delivered to any player. This is most unusual. And the casual manner to which it was dispensed with is disquieting, to say the least. Dealing the second card to a player while the first card was still on the deck would have to be uh, in direct violation of any approved procedures of that. Colorado is a well-regulated gaming jurisdiction, and even if it were not, this kind of thing would not be well-regarded or easily dismissed by any gaming agent. If the cards are freshly shuffled out of the shuffle machine, this could theoretically become an academic discussion as the cards were well-randomized and the order in which the cards are dealt is more ceremonial than anything. But I stand on ceremony here for reasons I will explain. If no automatic shuffler were in use, 
And this becomes really dicey. How would we know that the seconds were not being dealt to all the players? What if the cards were somehow marked and the dealer was aware of the markings? This actually happened at a couple Rust Belt casinos. Visible UV ink was found on multiple sets of poker cards, causing the poker rooms to entirely swap out all decks on the floor and in storage and to replace every shuffle machine. This is the kind of thing that may cause jackpots to be disqualified, team members to become unemployed, and casino reputations to tank badly. I feel your concerns are valid, and I share them. The only card that is to be removed from the deck by the dealer for any purpose is the top card. Any card other than top card being removed from the deck constitutes a misdeal at minimum. No exceptions. That's a good answer. I like that he used ceremonial now. Says superstitiously. <laughs> card destiny. Yeah, card destiny, superstition, and now ceremonial. Very interesting. <laughs> but good um, answer. Yeah, this is, I think, uh, another case of dealers just thinking that they're God. Um, and... <clears throat> think it's not a big deal and not thinking through that the perception of what it is i mean i would trust that this dealer knew what he was doing although it seems really odd how it happened um and thought he was correcting it fine but not understanding the perception of the player or, or players it might be more than just austin that thought this was odd um and that's a bigger deal than whether you actually get it correct or correct it properly so it's always it's always good to stop at that point and and at the very least call the floor and let the floor make the decision and that way there's you know less reason to think that there's something going on and you know a lot of these dealers when they do stuff like this sometimes they're probably just they don't want to have the floor called over and reprimand him and you know you start getting the floor called to you a lot then you lose your job or whatever demoted or whatever it is or you get fewer shifts you know so sometimes these guys are like hey i know i could just fix this if i do this but i just Right. Uh, if they don't notice it, they don't notice it, they don't notice it, I can talk my way out of it, and if ultimately it goes to the floor, then you just claim ignorance. But at this point, if you got away with it, you got away with it. You know, if Austin didn't go to the floor or the manager and say, hey, this guy did this, then he got away with it. We brought it up on a show, but, you know what I mean, no one knows who that guy was or whatever now, and so he got away with it and doesn't have another, you know, tick against his record at the casino. So uh, I can assume there's a lot of pressure there, too. It's There's so many people watching everything you do. I can almost empathize with with them doing that. You know what I mean? Because you just you just don't you don't want to get called into the, the principal's office. You know what I mean? It's just it's such a harrowing. Well, yeah, I think you actually bring up a really interesting point because we know um, you know some rooms with uh, the Bravo system they actually keep stats and track on dealers that fl- how many floor calls they call for, how long uh, the floor call took. So theoretically, you're taking them out of business, right? Yeah. Um, now, in one sense, that's a good thing because it's a good training, a way to train dealers, know where the spawn spots are, and get rid of the bad dealers. But it is a uh, an incentive for a dealer to try to correct things on their own and not push that button, um, and that's not a good thing either. So yeah. I don't know what the happy medium is there, but um, I would imagine the good poker room finds it. So, but all right. If, I do see the incentive, so. We're going to learn O'Malley's move this week. Always excited. Let's refresh our memories with part one, then we'll see you on the other side. Hello, and welcome to another O'Malley's move. I'm Malcolm O'Malley. We are still playing $2, $3, no limit hold'em at Harvey's in Lake Tahoe. We have slipped a bit and currently sit with around 260. The blinds post, we're under the gun with the ace of spades, queen of hearts. 
Apparently, I still haven't learned my lesson with ace-queen offsuit in early position because I'm going to make a raise. I bet $20. The plus one folds. The MP calls. He's a pretty solid player who doesn't often step out of line, but he does have some gamble in him. He started the hand with around 250. It's folded around to the button, who also makes the call. He has about 250 as well, and is tight as a rock. I really hate being out of position here, especially against these two players. There's $60 in the pot, and the flop is the ace of hearts, seven of spades, six of diamonds. Well, we're first to act with 240 in our stack, and I think this is a betting scenario. It's possible we're ahead, and we'd like to get some value out of this hand. We make it $40 to go. Both players simply call. There's 180 in the pot, and the turn is the king of clubs. A proper bet here would be between 100 and 125, which is approaching 60% of our remaining stack. I'm going to check for pot control. The MP makes a $100 bet, and the button shoves. So it's back to us. We've invested $60 into this pot and currently have to call off all but $10 to win close to $600. What's the move? Easy fold. Uh, one player might be bluffing here, but both. Um, and especially since the button is described as, quote, tight as a rock. Uh, I don't mind the preflop bet because we were first to act, but yeah, betting out of position is no fun with this hand. Uh, fold like an origami duck. Why a duck? Why not a flamingo? <laughs> I'm going to go through the stress of origami and make it something really interesting. Because they always make ducks for you. They make it out of your food when you're at Arigato's. They make it a flamingo at the, at the Japanese steakhouse. The All swan. right, well, at, at the swan, not the flamingo. Um, I, I, here's what I'm going to say. A bet and shove, and we have one pair. To quote Texas Dolly, never go broke with a queen in your hand. Well, we always go broke with queens I in our know, hands. Not supposed to. Listen to them, right? Not supposed to. So I'm going to fold just like you, and uh, right, here we go. Let's hope that O'Malley doesn't go broke with the queen in there. Yeah, let's see what happens. Hello again. Ah, the joys of playing ace-queen. There's a lot of money out there, and maybe against one opponent, this would be a good call. But against two, especially two solid players, I think we're losing to both. I hate throwing away $60, especially on a poorly played hand like this, but I just can't see us being ahead of both of these opponents. We fold. The MP turns over the 7 of hearts, 7 of clubs for a slow played flopped set, and the button turns over the ace of diamonds, king of spades. Yikes. We were in third place and drawing way dead. When the jack of hearts hits the river, the MP scoops a huge pot and we move on to the next hand. Until next time, I'm Malcolm O'Malley saying, don't get trapped by the trappiest trap hand in poker. Just fold Ace Queen. I hope to see you on the felt. Yeah, this was a uh, no-brainer and a uh, good reminder of the kicker trouble you have with an ace when your other card is anything other than a king. Yeah, it's a good basic fold. I mean, always good to follow ABCs, especially in multi-way pots. You don't always outthink yourself. This is a pretty simple, straightforward hand. And uh, he was right to fold, so... All right, it's time for the AdvancedPokerTraining.com Hand of the Week. Send your hands or situations to podcast at antiupmagazine.com. If you haven't won something from us in the past year, you'll get a free membership to Advanced Poker Training, the world's number one poker training site. And I believe we have a situation this week from uh, Mr. Troy Anderson. And uh, it's pretty short, so I guess I will read through the whole thing, and then we will discuss. All right? All right. 
this hand was in a $140 nightly tournament in Blackhawk, Colorado. Hopefully there's no seconds being dealt here. It's <laughs> the same, same thing. <laughs> uh, blinds are 100 and 200, and uh, our hero here is the effective stack at 14000 on the button. He says, I don't have a read on the villain in the hand. We've only been playing together for 40 minutes and haven't seen him get out of line. He has under the gun plus one and limps along with two other players. I look down at two red sixes on the button and decide to set mine. He says, a raise here will probably do no good as players have shown they don't want to fold. Uh, small blind completes, big blind checks. Flop is the six of spades, seven of spades, king of clubs. Let's check to our hero who bets 600. The only caller is the villain. The turn is the nine of spades. So the new board is six of spades, seven of spades, king club, nine of spades. Villain checks. Our hero bets 900. The villain raises to 4,000. And uh, hero says, this feels like a hand that wants to take it down now. I consider a shove, but the possible flush has me a bit concerned. So I call. The river is the tray of clubs. So final board is six of spades, seven of spades, king clubs, nine of spades, tray of clubs. Villain goes all in. Our hero goes in the tank and deci- it decides to stay alive in the tournament and folds. And the villain says, your flush is good. Our, our, our hero says, your flush is good. And the uh, our opponent turns over the king of spades, nine of clubs. Huh. Uh, our hero says, I did go on to take second as one, but wonder if a shove on the turn was the correct play. What do we say? Uh, I don't think so. A couple of reasons. One, he's got top two. And he's got, even then, he's got a second nut flush draw on that turn. So he's not going anywhere for hindsight. But even if it's not hindsight, even if you're just playing it straight forward, I don't think he goes anywhere um, at all with the top two. You know, and if anything, maybe you do it on the flop. But that just seems like too much money on the flop. And then at the turn, what's he raising you with there? You know what I mean? It seems like he's got the flush already, and you call. So you call another 3,100 when, you know, he played it exactly like a flush. You know what I mean? He called a um, a nominal raise, which that's kind of weird, too. I, the, um, did we, I think we raised the sixes, right? What did you say? Uh, uh, no, we, we limped pre-flop. <laughs> okay. Then- then we let the betting boasteries. We bet six hundred okay. up the flop, and then nine hundred after on the turn after it was checked to us both places. Yeah. Then well, he raised. I, I'm always weary when I don't have the nut hand. Uh, when somebody check raises me, you know that much on the turn, and it, to shove with a set. I mean, you look at that board. Look how wet that board is. You have straight yeah. flush possibilities. You have straight possibilities. You have flush possibilities, and you even have another set that could be likely bigger than yours because pocket sevens could easily be out there. And you're drawn to one card, so to or me, <clears throat> yeah, no, I, yeah, yeah. I was just thinking on that. I mean, think of but. think of the things that that nine did for that that somebody's hand. If they have pocket nines, now they have a set and have a bigger set than you. Obviously, this guy had a king nine, so his hand improved there as well too. The straight is unlikely because it'd be what ten eight or five eight, and that's hard to imagine the player under the gun plus one playing that. Yeah. Uh, but you know, it's still. <laughs> There. And then, of course, a flush, all kinds of flushes. Um, so, uh, you know, that was a really bad turn card for us in a lot of ways. So the only thing that would give me some pause here is the raise was pretty significant, right? So it, it is, as he said, that it feels like a hand that wants to take it down now. Now, that doesn't mean that it's a bluff or the hand that we have beat. I mean, it just happened to be that we did here. But, um, you know, it 
very well could be you know a small flush like that or it could be somebody just trying to steal the pot but at that point i mean that's why you overbet that way so people give a pause to it um i might have been really hard pressed to even uh, call that turn bet i think at that point yeah i was thinking the same thing because it we only invested what 15 1700 in this hand and we had fourteen thousand at the beginning of the hand so yeah. i mean hate to lose that much but it's in percentage of your stack is is not that much whereas once you chuck in another 3100 knowing that you're probably going to have to face something on the river which is exactly what happened right so at that point when you make that call i think you have to assume that uh the villain's going to do exactly what he did on the river and go all in so it's not a 3100 raise it's a whatever the guy had left at that point yeah yeah and that would be, you know, I don't, again, I, w- I wish I knew how much it is, but I would imagine we lost, had we called that riverbed, lost half our stack on this hand. Yeah, the only, you know, the only worst card that could come on the turn, I think, is like the eight of spades. Because, you yeah. know, nine, ten is a possibility. Something yeah, done. it makes the straights more possible. Yeah. yeah, but other than that, I mean, that's like the worst card possible that could come. And the guy check raises you. What? Basically, we we say this on the show a lot, but when somebody check raises you, they're basically telling you that they don't even care if they give you a free card. And so yeah. this guy's got king nine, and so it's like you think to yourself, what did that nine do to embolden this guy? So, I mean, I like the fold. I like the fold just because you were ahead doesn't mean it's not a good fold. It, it's right, it's right. probably the right right move, and you actually stayed alive and you know went in second place. But that doesn't mean necessarily that if you'd won this hand, that you would have won the tournament either. So. It's 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 hindsight is twenty twenty kind of thing, but but really this guy is telling you the story that you you need you pretty much believed he told the story he played it well, um, but he probably didn't know he was playing it that well. He probably thought you know you didn't raise pre flop. Oh so, yeah, he was probably shocked if we would have turned over. Yeah, our pieces, he'd have been right? stunned if you had a set of sixes. So it was it was a story being told that he probably didn't necessarily mean to tell. Um, because the king nine is a strong hand there. It's top two, you know, on a wet board, but it's still top two. It's a pretty strong hand. So he's telling a story that, hey, I have a strong hand. We're just believing it's stronger and getting out of the way. And it is a tournament. You can't rebuy at this point. It's not like you can reach in your pocket in a cash game. So I don't dis- I don't dislike the fold at all. It's just I don't know. If- and the reason he sent it in is because he wanted to know if there's a different way to play it. I don't know. Maybe you do raise preflop. But even under the gun plus one as king nine, that's kind of ballsy, and it's not even yeah, suited. It was, was a lot looser than we thought he was. <clears throat> yeah. Um, which might actually put that ten eight or five eight back in his range. Yeah, yeah. That's a good thing to remember going forward. But, um, but yeah, in this specific situation, results oriented, uh, the shove wasn't going to sear this guy away. He was going to, I think he was going to call up. He he was that bold with his king nine, and you're right, he had the backdoor spade as well too. So yeah. unless sitting on the ace so he felt like he was good so he's not going anywhere there so you saved a lot of money by not um uh not shoving because i think he would insta called but um but taking out the results and everything i still worry when i mostly because i know that that river is going to be a big bet as well too so that's what comes down to me it's not a 3100 dollars raise it's a Five thousand, six thousand, seven thousand dollar raise. That's too much for me, because you know if we're looking for our backup of being par- the board pairing for our boat. our book, yeah. What happens if they turns over pair of nines? Yeah, uh, um, that's not gonna help us. So at that point, our only out is two sixes. So 
I don't think we left ourselves a lot of good options there if we would have shoved. And I can guarantee, since we finished second, the winner was not the villain in this hand. This guy, <laughs> and he played terribly, really. He played King Nine under the gun. Then he was, and then he shoves on the end when a flush is possible because we sort of play it like a flush too. We limp. Say we limped with Ace Tray, a spades. So then we don't really raise with it because we're in the we're what we're on the button, but we don't necessarily have to raise with it. So then it comes out where we flop a flush, not flush draw. So we bet like we're supposed to get a call. Turn we make it, so it looks suspicious if we don't bet now. So we do. Guy check raises to four thousand, and we just smooth call, hoping it, he'll bet out into us because we're in position on the river. And then he shoves exactly what we would want if we had ace tray of spades. So this guy not only played king nine out of position, but he played it, you know, he played it well, but in a sense that he got us to fold, but he played it poorly because it looks like he didn't even read the board, you know. If he yeah. wanted to listen to our story that we were telling, we were essentially telling the same story he was telling in our own way with position, you know. We could have easily had ace, deuce, ace, tray of spades and just let him bet into us when he check raises us, it was like oh this is fantastic i got enough flush and you're betting you check raising me on the river i have position so you're gonna shove to try to make me fold and i'm gonna have the nuts you know what I mean? so the worst thing in poker when you you really think that you're setting the trap but you're really the one sitting in the trap oh yeah but i mean in this case too this is where position why position is so important because in this case poor position led to this guy winning the hand you know what yeah. I mean? And it, yeah. it, it, it's ridiculous. And if we had position and had the nuts, we would have had all the power. And uh, it's it's a it's actually for such a short little quick little hand, it's actually a lot of has a lot of sick connotations to it. Um but I don't dislike that fold. I just I mean I know we probably would have maybe even won the thing, who knows? But uh at this point, you know, you're believing a story that you could have very well been telling yourself, and the guy wasn't smart enough to pick up on it, I think. I think he, it was dumb luck the way this guy won this hand. Just dumb luck. Okay, I'm Chris Casenza. And I'm Scott Long. And we'll see you at the tables. Anti-Up is a production of antiupmagazine.com. Contact the show at podcast at antiupmagazine.com or call our hotline at 206-338-6344. If you'd like to advertise... Send an email to advertising at antiupmagazine.com or call 727-331-4335. Some music used in this episode comes courtesy of the Podsafe Music Network.